We are live. Good morning and welcome to the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for today, Monday, December 12th, 2022. I am the chair of the committee, Aaron Peskin, uh, remotely joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Raphael Mandelman and committee member Supervisor Connie Chan. Our clerk, as always, is Mr. Victor Young. Mr. Young, thank you for your service this year. Uh, this is our last meeting for 2022. And with that, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, the Board of Supervisors and its committee are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The public recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken on each item on the agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78 or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253. Then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you are muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star 3 to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on the telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and other listening devices. As I already indicated, we will take public comment from those attending in person first, and then we'll go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Rules Committee Clerk, at victor.young at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included as part of the file. You may also send written comment via U.S. mail to our office at City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlson B. Goodlit Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. That completes my initial comments. Thank you, Mr. Young and colleagues. Sorry, I can't join you in person today. I finally succumbed to the touch of the dreaded COVID, but hope to be back soon. Uh, Mr. Clerk, could you please read the first item? Uh, yes, item number one is a motion approving or rejecting the mayor's nomination for reappointment of Anna Van Degna to the Redevelopment Successor Agency Oversight Board term ending January 24, 2026. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, um, it's an interesting day today. Uh, I, as chair of this committee, did last week what I usually do because I hate to have a backlog on my calendar. And I threw this and item number two on the calendar for on the pending list. Actually, Mr. Clerk, could you also read item number two? Yes, item number two is a motion approving or rejecting the mayor's nomination for reappointment of Moses Corret to the Redevelopment Successor Agency Oversight Board for a term ending January 24, 2026. And uh, as you note in uh, as the clerk just noted in both of these matters, the terms of uh, these two mayoral appointments don't actually expire until the end of January of next year. 
therefore, I've been advised that given the upcoming change of the Board of Supervisors, the new board needs to ultimately vote on these. So I uh, intended to send them as committee reports to get them out of the way and have a smooth transition. Uh, but instead, uh, we will not be entertaining uh, them as committee reports, but we'll hear them and send them in the due course where they will be heard next year when a new board is seated. Uh, having said that, um, why don't we hear from Ms. Van Digna, who already serves on the Redevelopment Successor Agency Oversight Board. Now, mind you, colleagues, this is not the Redevelopment uh, Successor Agency Commission. Uh, this is actually a body that has oversight over said commission um, that was created uh, after the dissolution of redevelopment agencies in the state of California uh, back in, what was it, 2011 or thereabouts. Uh, Ms. Van Degna, sorry, I'm not there in person, but I know you are. Thank you, and good morning, Chair Peskin and Supervisors. My name is Anna Van Degna, and I'm the Director of the Controller's Office of Public Finance. I'm honored to be here today as you consider my potential reappointment to the Oversight Board for the former Redevelopment Agency. In my role as the city's public finance director, I'm responsible for managing a $5 billion debt portfolio, and I oversee the issuance of the city's GEOs, COPs, and IFD and CFD debt. Since I was appointed to this board in 2020, I've endeavored to serve as a fiduciary both to the holders of the enforceable obligations as well as the taxing entities that are entitled to receive an allocation of property taxes once these obligations are met. I look forward to being able to continue this work if I am reappointed to the Oversight Board. Thank you for your time and consideration. Please let me know if I can answer any questions. Thank you, Ms. Vendegna. And if you could just explain to us a little bit about the interplay between the Oversight Board and the Successor Agency Commission. It is my understanding that they vote first and then you vote to approve or alter or deny some of their actions. Do I have that correct? That is correct, yes. So we, so we act um, before specifically when we're reviewing uh, things like the recognized obligation payment schedule. Um, that is also reviewed by and submitted to the state um, of California. And I understand, and this has been an issue that I've been looking into along with uh, several longstanding, uh, not just redevelopment agency, but other city commitments that have, uh, after decades, not come to fruition. Um, uh, by, by way of background, I'm referring to things like uh, the old mint uh, which has, uh, after now two decades, still not been adaptively reused or have a long-term tenant, uh, and also 706 Mission Street, um, the Millennium Project uh, on the corner of Mission and Third, uh, which also for a similar period of time uh, has been the subject of discussions for a Mexican museum wherein the successor agency 
uh, has uh, promised grant payments to the entity uh, in the amount of some $10 million, although it would appear that uh, the Mexican Museum has uh, is a long ways, if ever, from being able to actualize a museum at that location. My understanding is that the sixth round of uh, of grant disbursements came before the oversight board and that some questions were asked. I didn't prepare you for this, so I, I, it may be coming out of left field, but I wondered if you could expound on that a little bit. Certainly. Um, so it was an obligation that predated me in, in joining the board. Um, however, um, when requests do come to us, I and I think in particular this one, there's just there's questions that are asked about kind of the, the timeliness and the schedule. And again, because this um, is an obligation that is being reserved, just wanting to make sure that the project um, is making um, some sort of progress and um, that the recipients of the, the grant will be kind of accountable to be held on a t particular time frame. though I do believe with this one it has um, certainly been going on for, for quite some time. Okay, and then just by, just for my own edification, this is an interesting body. I note that the BART district has uh, BART board member Janice Lee as a member of the oversight board. Um, the document that is in our file shows that the superintendent of education is represented by David Golden. I assume that is not true because David Golden, I think, was long ago replaced by a former uh, city uh employee, Don Kalmanatan. Do you know if, who, who serves for the Board of Education? Uh, it is neither of the individuals that you just um, mentioned. I would have to, to check with, the, uh, confirm with the staff at OCII. And relative to the community college, is that, do you know who serves for that? And this is, has nothing to do with your reappointment. It's just an opportunity for me to learn. Certainly. Um, I, there's I, Janice Lee is on the board. Um, Lydia Eli is also on the board. I think Moses Caret, who's there for um, reappointment today, and then there are one or two other, other individuals that are not coming to the front of my mind right now. Got it. Uh, is Ken Bukowski still on there? He is, he is no longer still on the board. Okay, we're going to have to get an update to this little piece of paper. Uh, I see no, n neither of my colleagues on uh, the roster, so why don't we go to Moses Corrette. I would just double checking to see if uh, there is a login. And I noted in your email this morning, Mr. Young, that you were silent as to Mr. Corrette's attendance in person or virtual. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I did not receive a, a response to my uh, invitation. It does not appear that we have a log on for uh, Mr. Corrette at this time. Okay. Uh, is there any public comment on items one and or two? 
Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak now along the, uh, should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comment. Uh, there is nobody in the room for a public comment at this time, and there is nobody on the line for public comment. Okay, public comment on these items is closed. And colleagues, I would suggest the following, that as to item number one, uh, at line three, we remove the word rejecting on page one, and on page uh Two at line 13, remove the word reject, and then send the item as amended to the full board for hearing in January with recommendation on that motion for item number one, a roll call, please. Yes, on the motion to amend and recommend. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. And then, colleagues, I would suggest, given that uh, this item number two um, can be heard in January and that Mr. Corret could be reappointed well before his term expires, uh, that we continue item number two to our first meeting in January. Uh, can we have a roll call on that motion? Yes, on the motion to continue to the next meeting of the Rules Committee in January. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. All right, next item, please. Yes, <laughs> item number three is a hearing to consider appointing one member, term ending April 30th, 2027, to the Police Commission. Thank you, Mr. Young. Colleagues, uh, let me say, uh, make a number of opening comments uh, with regard to this item. Uh, first of all, um, while it has elicited quite a number of emails and a couple of articles in the newspaper, uh, there is Nothing untoward or underhanded about considering an appointment to the police commission before the expiration of a term. As a matter of fact, uh, it is not uncommon. Such was the case in the first two items, uh, such as the case uh, with various other items on today's calendar, things uh, where expirations don't happen uh, for several months into the future. I was kind of uh, ruminating on this uh, in the reverse, which is that uh, people got quite exercised a few weeks ago uh, when the Elections Commission chose not to reappoint early uh, the incumbent director of elections, which was anathema to the Board of Supervisors and the mayor. Um, uh, I remember uh, when I was president of the board and enjoyed the uh, opportunity to appoint and reappoint members to the planning commission, 
individuals who were doing a very good job. Uh, I, I reappointed Christina Olagi to that body with the Board of Supervisors confirmation, uh, I think, five months uh, before her term expired for any number of reasons, uh, not the least of which was uh, that I wanted her and everybody to know that she had the full confidence of her appointing authority, uh, the president of the board and the board of supervisors. Um, it's been very interesting to me, uh, particularly as it relates to the police commission, um, uh, that the last number of appointments that uh, both the mayor uh, have has nominated and the board has confirmed and that uh, the board has nominated have been the subject of very little controversy, uh, quite limited public comment. And it's, if you look at the recent history, um, uh, in 2018, there were quite a number of interested applicants when there was a vacancy, I believe, after uh, Board of Supervisors appointed Commissioner Julius Terman uh, passed away. Um, Subsequently, uh, when uh, Commissioner Petra de Jesus, another Board of Supervisors appointee, uh, chose not to seek another term after a long and uh, long term of service, uh, there weren't any applicants. As a matter of fact, that seat remained vacant for some nine months. Uh, in this particular case, uh, I personally believe that Ms. Elias, who has been appointed unanimously by the full board uh, two times and was recently elected by a majority of her colleagues to be the chair of that body, uh, is doing an excellent job and deserves to continue uh, and deserves to have the support of this board of supervisors. Let me say this as a threshold issue to those people who think uh, that there's some hanky-panky going on. The new Board of Supervisors, which will change by exactly one member, will be the ultimate uh, adjudicator of whether Ms. Elias gets reappointed to the commission or not. Uh, so this Board of Supervisors certainly can state its intent, but it will be the next Board of Supervisors that will be seated on January 9th that will ultimately make that decision. Um, uh, I want to say another thing, which is that there is an argument that I've seen uh, in the barrage of emails uh, that we didn't open the seat up for people to apply to. That is a profound misunderstanding of how the application process works. Uh, as a matter of fact, I am proud that as the chair of the rules committee for the last two years that together with the clerk of the board of supervisors and my staff and the knowledge of this uh, committee and our clerk have made a number of long overdue process improvements those process improvements included not that it is germane here getting rid of unnecessary reviews by the full board of supervisors uh, by, by this committee uh, for actions that the full board of supervisors could take with uh, action on the adoption without committee reference calendar. Uh, as a matter of fact, we those on our calendar tomorrow. Uh, that was a process improvement. In addition, uh, we changed things such that 
people can apply for every commission all of the time. Uh, if you go to the Board of Supervisors website, and this has been true since May of this year, under what's new, you can see every single commission that one can apply for, you can apply for it on the spot. Uh, there are dozens of commissions listed. So this is kind of like continuous testing. It's continuous application. That is a process improvement uh, that this chair and this committee together with the clerk made. Uh, so anybody can apply for anything at any time. Um, so I want to state that for the record. Um, with that, I would like to uh, remind uh, folks about the appointment history of Ms. Elias uh, that date back uh, to when Supervisor Safai was the chair of the Rules Committee, uh, wherein they interviewed some dozen candidates uh, and recommended one. That was Ms. Elias, uh, and that recommendation came from uh, a Rules Committee that was then composed of Supervisor Safai as its chair, Supervisor Norman Yee as its vice chair, and member Catherine Stephanie. Uh, that was ultimately finally approved unanimously by the full board of supervisors, uh, whose president at that time was London Breed, uh, included Malia Cohen, um, Supervisors Kim and Fewer and Sheehy uh, and Tang and Yee, all of whom are gone. Uh, but did include the affirmative votes of supervisors who are still here, myself, Ronan, Safai, uh, and Stephanie. Uh, Ms. Uh, Elias was at that time appointed to a seat that only had a year remaining on it. And in 2019, uh, the Rules Committee, which was then chaired uh, by Hillary Ronan, um, recommended unanimously and the Board of Supervisors in 2019 uh, approved again unanimously uh, with a slightly different change uh, in composition. So I just wanted to set that out for the record. Um, and, and then I want to talk about um, the dynamic around policing, not only in San Francisco, but in the United States of America at this time. And, and let me say uh, the obvious, which is uh, that we all deserve to be, we all want to be safe in the city that we live in, that we work in. Um, and we all uh, want a police department um, of the highest standard and highest integrity. Um, but policing is very complicated and the role of a uh, independent citizens oversight uh, commission uh, in a landscape where nuanced and sensible police reforms are sweeping the country is, uh, is important and is something that um, I have supported uh, historically and continue to support. And I think Ms. Elias represents both of those things, uh, a desire to uh, have a safe uh, city for all of us to enjoy uh, while employing uh, best practices and appropriate uh, reforms in urban policing. Um, now, uh, I know this has become politically wrought, uh, 
uh, it has become politically wrought in uh, the wake of uh, district attorney recalls and uh, uh, so forth. Um, but I think this is actually a pretty uh, straightforward reappointment of somebody who is widely uh, respected. And with that, uh, I look forward to a robust conversation and questions and would like to welcome Commissioner Elias to share her thoughts and her experiences uh, and vision with this Rules Committee. Good morning, Ms. Elias. Good morning, Chair Peskin. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Supervisors Mandelman, and good morning, Supervisor Chan. I stand before you a proud public servant for almost 20 years. I have dedicated my entire life and my free time to serving my community and the public. I have been a police commissioner since 2018 and I am extremely proud of that. And I'm extremely proud of the accomplishments I have been able to accomplish while on this commission. I am now the most senior member of this commission. When I first came to the Board of Supervisors in 2018 and applied to be a police commissioner, I promised the board and the community that I would speak truth to power. And that is exactly what I have done since my appointment. <clears throat> I'd like to begin by telling you a little bit about myself. And I apologize because I too have a cold, so <clears throat> my voice may not be the best. I come from a small farm working town. I am the proud daughter of two hardworking people. My parents worked tirelessly to ensure that every opportunity were afforded to myself and my two brothers. They worked two, sometimes three jobs to make sure that we had a better life than they did. And as such, I was fortunate to benefit from their hard work. I'm the first child to go to college and to become a lawyer in my family, which is pretty big. And I have always done things to make sure that they are proud. I began my legal career as a public defender, and I was one under Jeff Adachi for more than a decade. I then made the transition to labor and employment law, where I joined the labor commissioner's office in 2018. And at the labor commissioner's office, I was able to accomplish some amazing things. One of them, or several of them, are cases that I prosecuted and was able to secure over $8 million for workers wages that had been stolen from them, wages that were owed to them but were never paid. And so as an enforcement attorney for the Labor Commissioner's Office, I've been able to go and fight for those workers that didn't have a voice and were cheated out of the hardworking money that they were due. I am now special counsel to the Labor Commissioner's Office, or excuse me, to the California Labor Commissioner, who is an amazing, trailblazing woman. As such, we are a state agency that enforces the labor laws. We ensure that workers are aware of their rights, that workers' rights are protected. We ensure that there is a level playing field amongst employers, law-abiding employers, and that the cheating employers do not gain any tactical advantage over those employers that are hardworking and abiding by the rules and trying to do the right thing. Before I begin, with my accomplishments. <clears throat> I'd like to share with you what I've learned in this position. I've learned that commissioners are responsible for so much more than just setting policy and conducting disciplinary hearings. 
for police commissioning, for the department. I learned that there is a huge learning curve to this job, especially if you want to do it right. I've learned that just because you're a lawyer, you're good with words, or you're a good writer, does not mean you are a good policymaker. Policy writing is much more than the words on the paper. Policy doesn't mean anything unless you have buy-in from those that have to implement the policy that you write. Policy doesn't work unless you have collaboration, unless you have trust. Because again, without it, it doesn't work. I can have a beautiful policy and amazing words that'll tickle your feet, but unless it's functional and the people who have to carry it out aren't doing it, it means nothing. This job requires the ability and willingness to be open to learning new things and understanding different perspectives. I've learned that this job is much harder than it looks and requires a lot more work and time than I ever imagined. I've also learned that compromise and inclusion of different perspectives is crucial. You can't do this alone or in the vacuum. Oftentimes when I first started on this commission, I would be in the room with individuals that were very like-minded. And oftentimes it felt like I was the outsider because I had a different advantage viewpoint and perspective. And I believe that it's when you are in a room with those that have these differences and have opposing points of view that you come up with the best strategies and the best policies. Because if I can't defend my position or explain to you where I'm coming from, then you'll never understand. No matter who has been on the commission with me, and it has been changing over the last several years, despite our differences, we have managed as a commission to make monumental changes in policing here in San Francisco. I have worked collaboratively with the, my fellow commissioners, members of the San Francisco Police Department from the chief all the way down to patrol officers, the Department of Police Accountability, the city attorney's office, BASIF, the district attorney's office, the public defender's office and countless other city agencies and commissions to implement lasting and meaningful policies for the members of the San Francisco Police Department. This is not about politics for me. I have no political aspirations. My only goal is to do this job and to do it well. I want to make San Francisco a safer city for everyone through thoughtful, innovative, and meaningful reform and policing. I am focused on using evidence-based analysis and practices to provide San Francisco with a police force that is more effective, efficient, inclusive, transparent, and accountable to the hardworking people of San Francisco. I'd like to turn now to the accomplishments that I have been able to achieve since 2018. And apparently we're doing something right because I hear they wanna do a documentary about police department. So we were, when I first joined the police department, we were tasked with implementing 272 recommendations from the DOJ. And we, at that time, had only, I think, implemented less than a handful. I'm proud to say that we are 90% done with those DOJ recommendations and with a portion of the DOJ recommendations that are remaining have to do with technology and antiquated systems of the department. But the substantive stuff we've tackled through 
and I have been here on the commission for that. One of the proudest accomplishments is my spearheading the revision of DGO 3.01, which is the department general order that outlines the process for how DGOs, which are the rules that the officers are required to follow, uh, is conducted. Some of our DGOs are from the 90s and they're very antiquated and they don't give officers guidance when it comes to dealing with 21st century policing and issues that we are faced with. When I first started the commission, I was on a working group, the BIAS working group, and the working group was comprised of several community members as well as the department. The working group had come up with a final draft of the DGO. And at that time, the process was the working group would come up with their edits. It would be then sent to a whole bureaucratic chain within the department, um, allowing people who were not part of the working group, not part of the discussions, not part of the research that was done, uh, allowing them to opine and give edits to the um, document before it would come to the commission. So what would happen is it would go through a process called concurrence, edits were made, and then the document was then sent to the commission for approval. It was never sent back to the working group, the people who had participated by taking time out of their day and their you know, blood, sweat, and tears of really engaging in this process were never given the courtesy of being notified of the changes and what was happening. And it upset the community and it upset the working group members. And I too was very confused as to why that communication wasn't there and that level of respect for the people who had taken time out of their day to participate in this process. Additionally, we were getting criticized because of the length of time it was taking to update these DGOs and to move through the 272 recommendations. As such, I revised 301 with the help of the Department of Police Accountability with the, the chief and as well as other individuals within the department. And I am proud to say that we now have a more thoughtful efficient process for how DGOs are created, how working groups are conducted, and how we can solicit feedback from the community in this entire process. One of the things that is very important to me as a policymaker is soliciting input from those individuals who have to actually implement this policy. And with 301, I allowed a provision which after either a working group or the policy is created by the department, it is posted on the police commission website for 30 days. And during that 30 day period, both the community can review the policy as well as police officers. And they can give edits, suggestions, and or revisions to the police commission website, which are then distributed to the police commissioners. And we as police commissioners are able to review that information prior to the DGO coming up and being finalized before the full commission. And officers are allowed to do this anonymously, so they don't have to fear retaliation or fear that their ideas or suggestions will come back to haunt them. And this is really important because I'm not a police officer and I need to know what it's like when they're out there on the street policing if this policy isn't working. And I think that by providing this avenue, it allows them to do just that. It also allows a more transparent process for the community and the public because they get to see the work that we're doing. They get to see how the policy is made because before this, remember, it was all done in the dark. 
And the only time you saw it is when it came up on the agenda at the police commission for a vote. So I'm really happy about the revision of 3.01 and the fact that it allows for community and officer input and it imposes timelines. So now the department has deadlines um, to meet when it comes to these DGOs so that these are moving along and they aren't being stalled or stuck in the process. Another proud accomplishment is my additions and revision to DGO 5.01, which is the use of force. First, I want to say that the use of force was a transformative policy. It was when it was uh, originally revised under the leadership of Susie Loftus, it was the first of its kind and very controversial. Now it's being used across the country as a model for other jurisdictions. We have expanded the reporting for use of force to make sure that the relevant data is collected. Prior to this revision, the only time use of force data was collected is if the use of force resulted in an officer-involved shooting or injury, which re resulted in hospitalization. Now we require more data sets to be collected. Specifically, when an officer pulls out a gun and points it at somebody, that's a very traumatizing event. And now we're gonna track that. We're gonna track when and in what circumstances are officers pulling out guns on, on people. There are also other data sets that we are, have implemented within that DGO that's going to give us more evidence-based practices and allow us to make adjustments as necessary. And one of the things in 5.01 that I really appreciated is that when, we, when I made these revisions with the chief of this policy, the training department and the FTFO and some members indicated that there were some problems with how it was worded and how they would be able to implement. They reached out, they told me their concerns, they explained them, we went over it, and then we adjusted the policy so that it was more feasible and workable for the officers, because it's through that lens that we have to write this policy. I was also a part of DGO 5.03, which is the investigative detentions, and 5.17, which prohibits biased policing. These are also two innovative policies which have concepts that have never been introduced before, specifically bias by proxy, an idea that the chief submitted and we were able to include in this policy. And again, it's never, um, been an issue that has been in these type of general orders and it is now being used by other jurisdictions in this country. The other DGO that I, I am working on is the banning of pretext stops, which is 9.01. And that is currently in the revision process and will be up for a vote. And we've worked really hard on 9.01. And I think that the two things that I'm most proud of is that not only does it address the racial disparities, because there is a problem with the racial disparities in our city, but it also allows officers to redirect resources. Instead of focusing on certain violations that have statistically failed to produce any tangible drugs or guns, they are able to focus their energy 
towards things that matter, like true traffic enforcement, traffic enforcement that is plaguing our, that is needed in our city. Things like running red lights, things like running stop signs, things that are very important and really, I think, need to be addressed and we need to dedicate resources to those type of issues. In addition to working on various DGOs, I've listed a few. I also want to turn now to areas that I have agendized on the commission in order to draw attention and bring awareness to. One of them in 2018 was the 96A report. This is a statute that was required that the police department track data, racial data on stops, uses of force, searches of people, and the yield rates, meaning what are we finding? And when I began looking at the data, it was clear to me that the racial disparities were troubling. People of color were the victims of uses of force three times more likely than those, than white individuals. People of color were searched 60% more than any other race. And the yield rates, which means when they are searched, what do we find on them, was 30%, meaning three out of 10 people are searched, actual contraband is found, but seven out of the, out of the 10, nothing is found. So these people have been searched for, and, and nothing's been found. I've also asked that another topic that needed to be agendized was Dante King, who was the former police department trainer who raised concerns about the anti-blackness within the department. I asked that this item be agendized for months and I was ignored. Finally, I made a motion to have the issue agendized and to get it on the agenda. This is an example of my persistence and the importance of having difficult topics agendized and conversations that needed to be had. It was through this, having this issue agendized that we were able to open it up and learn more and talk about what the issue was and how the police department was responding. I also requested that the mor a morale presentation be agendized before the commission. I specifically asked the chief, what are you doing for your officers? They have COVID fatigue. This was after COVID. This is after you know, officers were complaining of low morale. And I challenged the chief to talk to us about what the department was doing to address these issues, what services they were providing for the officers, and what the officers wanted. And it was through this agenda item and conversation that I learned what officers wanted. They told us, we want clear and concise policies. We want consistency. And more importantly, we'd like respect because they have a hard job. And so it was through conversations like this that we were able to find out what it is that officers truly needed. I've asked for a clearance rate presentation. I think it's important that not only do we agendize things that you know commissioners are interested in, but I also think it's very important to agendize items that the community is interested in. There were several articles about police not responding to crimes. Um, the fact that you know there were several articles about crimes that were being committed in front of the police and nothing was done. We had a presentation that, that indicated that our clearance rate here in San Francisco is 8%, far below several jurisdictions here in California. 
And that's a problem because we need to ensure that if crimes are occurring, they're properly being investigated and those crimes are being solved. And before any prosecution can happen, an arrest needs to be made. And so we needed to vet and have conversations about why the clearance rate was so low, why these uh, complaints of, from citizens about police officers not um, uh, responding to their complaints or arresting people for crimes was an issue. Another topic that <clears throat> I requested to be agendized was the traffic enforcement issue. There was, we saw articles and, and the community complaining about why traffic enforcement wasn't being done. We had a presentation by the department as to why the, the traffic division um, wasn't issuing tickets, why we weren't meeting our vision, uh, vision zero goals. And we learned that there is a staffing issue. We learned that the officers uh, from the traffic division, instead of being able to enforce traffic, were being diverted to the areas of the Tenderloin and to Union Square and to other areas of the city that needed their presence. So we were able to have these conversations and make the community aware of what was going on. And again, without these difficult conversations or these items being agendized, the community doesn't have a clear answer from the department as to what's happening. One of the other issues was the Twitter issue. There was one of the district stations was using the, the police department Twitter account for inappropriate comments related to George Floyd. We agendized it. The, and very shortly after this issue was fixed and a policy was created to ensure that access to the district station Twitter accounts was um, much was not accessible and were, we wouldn't have this issue again. Recently, I um, added a presentation regarding homicide awards. There was an issue. Ms. Brown, who comes to our meetings every single meeting, regarding the death of her son and talks to us about the pain that she is constantly in, as well as the mother's circle and an article that had come out regarding the homicide rewards and them not being paid out. We did a presentation, the department did a presentation on this issue to alleviate the concerns that Ms. Brown and the mother circle and all of those who have lost loved ones um, from violence, how this process works and what exactly happens. So it's through these kind of difficult conversations and agendizing of difficult items that we are able to have these conversations and solicit input from the community as well as the department. Another area that I uh, am a part of is the disciplinary review board. This is a board that reviews the disciplinary trends in the department and we make adjustments to some of the trends or violations that we, that both internal affairs and the Department of Public Accountability are seen. And remember, there are two charging agencies that can impose discipline on, San, on the San Francisco police officers. Internal affairs, so the chief would need to sign off, and the Department of Public Accountability. And there's been a lot of talk about excluding DPA from conversations, from them being in the room, or that they are some agency that is out to just stick it to officers with any type of discipline violation they can. And I have to say that's not true. Because of my participation in the disciplinary review board, we were able to come up with solutions. I was shocked to learn how many officers are not familiar with the dis disciplinary process here in the police department. So because of that, DPA and 
the department go out to district stations and conduct trainings to officers at roll call. They tell them, hey, these are the kind of violations we're seeing. Hey, this is the kind of conduct that we you know, are going to be investigating. And this is the kind of conduct that is not permitted. And it's really an education for the officers of how the process works and what these two charging agencies are looking for when they file charges and they investigate officers. And it really provides the officers with a wealth of information on this process. With respect to discipline, because that, in addition to policymaking, discipline is the other aspect of our job. I have revamped the administrative trial rules for the disciplinary hearings. As a, uh, the longest standing commissioner, and even before with my predecessors, I've handled the most disciplinary cases than any other commissioner. I've also been assigned the most disciplinary cases than any other commissioner, but I've been able to clear my docket because we had a backlog and I'm proud to say that we no longer have one. And revamping the administrative trial rules has, is very beneficial to the officers because it creates a more streamlined system so that they are aware of the policies and procedures that are happen during these disciplinary hearings. Also, under my leadership and with working with the chief, we were able to create and implement and organize an efficient process for handling the several VAX cases we received. I'm happy to report that we have cleared out all of the VAX cases. Additionally, I helped create the policy for implementing 1421, which is a state law allowing the re release of officer misconduct records for certain type of offenses. The commission office has created an online portal to handle these requests, and under my leadership, I'm proud to say we are currently up to date with all of the 1421 requests. Additionally, we are now moving on to the SB 16 cases, which is a newer state law that allows for the release of additional misconduct records. Also, because of these conversations, DPA has also created an online portal allowing access to these records to the community. Finally, <clears throat> under my leadership, I've assigned DGOs to every commission. We were informed by the Department of Public Accountability that there were 20 plus DGOs that had been sitting with the department for nearly two years, waiting to be finalized. So, as president of the police commission, I assigned each commissioner a handful of DGOs that had been languishing for nearly two years. Now, each commissioner is responsible for their specific DGOs, and they give weekly updates on the progress of their assigned DGOs to ensure that these DGOs are moving along and not languishing, and it's creating greater transparency for the public and the members on where the DGO, DGOs are in the process. And more importantly, we're gonna start remaining on a more, um, efficient schedule to getting these DGOs finalized and then the, then being able to revisit them on a three to five year cycle, which again is important because as policing changes, as our, you know, our society changes, we as a department have to be able to keep up with that. And we have to know and keep up with the innovative uh, requirements that policing will require from our officers. I now want to address the continually false accusations and attacks against my character. When I joined the police commission in 2018, I promised to consult the city attorney on any potential, potential ethical issues or potential conflicts of interest. I have kept that promise. I have actively sought the advice and counsel of the city attorney's office on any issues that concerned me or presented me with the appearance of a conflict of interest. 
not only have I sought their advice, but I have followed it. I have followed the same rules and obligations that my former fellow commissioner, Tibi Muzuko, did when he served for nearly a decade on this commission. Tibi was a partner at a law firm that frequently represented police officers in disciplinary cases that appeared before this commission. His ethics and reputation were never questioned. Unfortunately, as a woman, especially a woman of color, I am held to a different standard. Not only is this unfair, but it shouldn't be happening in San Francisco. Rather than judging me for who I am and what I've accomplished during my tenure on this commission, they have cast aspersions on my legacy. The focus is never on my work, my accomplishments, the accomplishments of the commission, or my work ethic. And I wanna say enough is enough. The misogyny and sexism needs to stop and should have no place here in San Francisco. I am a proud Latina Filipino professional and I take my job and responsibilities very seriously. I can and I do exercise sound judgment in my duties as a commissioner and I do it without my husband's involvement. Because I am a woman of color, a hardworking woman of color, I am a valuable asset to this commission. Be <clears throat> I bring a unique and important perspective that others don't bring to the table. My participation is important, meaningful, and needed, especially when it comes to racial and gender disparities that San Francisco Police Department continues to struggle with. I am speaking truth to power and I challenge the status quo, which clearly makes some people uncomfortable. However, I have a proven track record of implementing thoughtful reform by working tirelessly with various individuals with integrity, empathy, and always putting public safety and the principles of 21st century policing first. Why do I wanna continue this other than I'm a glutton for punishment? I wanna finish what I started. I wanna see the policies I've worked on play out. I wanna to continue to help this commission set the bar and be the national standard when it comes to policing. For example, we have an amazing program at the department called CMCR, Critical Mindset Coordinated Response. It teaches officers extensive de-escalation techniques and how to deal with real life situations that are very stressful and traumatizing. It teaches them to focus on the present the facts that are known to them here in the, moment, in the moment, not the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but what is actually happening. And this type of training allows them to be more mindful in how they respond to high stress and crisis situations. And this has led to better outcomes. Our very own Lieutenant Nevin has won awards in this work and in this field for this amazing program and the amazing work that we've done. We are currently in the process of ensuring that all of the officers in the department receive this training. Another example, which I highlighted before, was 501, which is now a national model. We have other jurisdictions from around the country reaching out to Chief Scott and asking him for this policy so that it can be used as the model for their departments. There are so many other examples that I can't list all of them. But in 2020, when the 8 Can't Wait campaign launched nationwide, we in San Francisco had already completed the eight listed items. This is the, an example of what leaders and visionaries we are and that I hope we continue to be. Finally, I wanna thank my family for allowing me to follow my dreams, for being patient with me as I put my energy and focus on this job 
rather than them at times. Also to the individuals who are always there to help me navigate through this tumultuous ride, I thank you. I am forever grateful. And more importantly, I'd like to thank the commission staff, Sergeant Youngblood, Sergeant Reynolds, Sergeant Kilshaw, Risa Tom, and our new addition, Christine Singh. Thank you for putting up with all of us. Thank you for making this machine run and run well. There is no way this commission would work without you all. It is not easy dealing with seven different commissioners, seven di different personalities and the demands of all of us. Not only do you do it, but your dedication to the department and the community is admirable. And I thank you. Okay, I think I wanna thank you again, commissioners, um, excuse me, supervisors Peskin, Mandelman and Connie or, or Chan for this opportunity. Thank you, Commissioner Elias. I, I I actually have to say, in the 15 years that I've been a member of the Board of Supervisors, uh, that was the best, most comprehensive uh, tour of what the police commission <laughs> does from A to Z. So thank you for that edification as well as for your service. Um, I do want to also note, uh, and I was particularly impressed by this uh, because amidst the barrage of form uh, emails uh, that uh, seem to be the result of a uh, request from Stop Crime SF, uh, there was an email from a gentleman that I know and uh, used to work with who was commander of the police, commander of police at the San Francisco Police Department, uh, who served with integrity uh, our department for uh, over 30 years. Uh, one Steve Ford, who is the new chief of police uh, in Antioch, good for Antioch, uh, giving his full-throated endorsement of the reappointment of uh, Commissioner Elias and I was I was glad I was able to weed that out from the couple of hundred uh, form emails uh, and that was in addition to um, support from folks like uh, renowned and highly respected uh, Professor Bill Hing himself a former member of the Police Commission DJ Brookter uh, and others uh, with that I see uh, Supervisor Mandelman and Supervisor Chan, I believe that I saw in an email that the other applicant, Terrence Tracy, has withdrawn. But let me confirm that because if he has not, is that correct, Mr. Young? Uh, yes, I did receive an email noting that uh, he is no longer interested in the position. Okay, so with that, Supervisor Mandelman, I'd actually put my name on the queue for a, a procedural point about whether we wanted to consider um, Ms. Black first, but I think we're far enough into this that uh, it makes sense to go forward. And in that case, I will let I will defer to Supervisor Chan and go after her. I I apologize, Ms. Black. This uh, you're getting. Uh, I suspect your reappointment uh, uh, will be less lengthy than this one and while i'm at it i am sorry i am not in the chambers but i understand that the sf community school uh is in the chamber so i'd like to shout them out and wish i could be there with you in person but don't want to infect you with that supervisor chan 
Thank you, Chair Peskin. Um, I, I agree, and, and I just really want to thank uh, Commission President um, Lias for your service and commitments to serve and willingness to serve. It certainly is not an easy commission to serve on uh, uh, in San Francisco historically. It's not just now, um, but most definitely now. Um, the political climate has made it uh, even more difficult, I think both for the commission and for the department, um, to really move things forward without um, a, you know, without being polarized. And, and I think that it is all the more reason why we actually need commissioners who are um, bipartisan, so to speak, and objective uh, in their service and in the ways they serve. And, um, and so I, I also see that, um, that our police commission president, uh, Cynthia Elias, if I may say, is not only the most senior police commissioner um, who has served with um, actually former supervisor and police commission president Malia Cohen and uh, president, uh, commission president Elias was served as a vice president of that commission and uh, former supervisor Malia Cohen was actually also known as a, a really a police reform uh, supervisor and uh, appointee of now our mayor, London Breed, uh, to the police commission. She had to step down in order for her to run for a statewide office. Um, and as a result, uh, now Commission President Lyons uh, became the only woman of color on the commission, uh, one of the only two women commissioners among the seven members commission, which means that majority uh, of the commission is man, um, and, uh, and yet, yet, she was recently, in the recent weeks, elected as the president by a commission that has Mayor Bree's appointees in the majority. And I think that actually means a lot uh, for all of us in this time, that oftentimes that public safety becomes more as a political messaging than an actual, like in the seek of policy solution for real public safety and real safety reform and police reform. So clearly President Elias has the ability and experience and skill sets that can bring all stakeholders together um, you know, across aisles, so to speak, and really bring people together to provide oversight, and I think in her own words, appreciation of our police departments, to make sure that we understand the morale, to make sure that we deliver the public safety measures um, that San Franciscans deserve. So I, I, for those that have questions about, you know, this appointment and why it's being moved forward, those are my reasons. I, I don't see how my votes will change now and later. Um, and it's because while there are many qualifying individuals, and this is not in any way to deny any other people can actually also qualify because of their existing work. But I think that given that pre Commission President Elias' history, as the most seniors, as I have talked about. It's not some, something that anyone can just step in and take the leadership role of this police commission. Uh, and, and it would take a while for anyone to come in to acclimate to that uh, point. And it's the reason why I think that she didn't qualify to continue to serve, not just at, as our police commissioner, but truly as our police commission president. Um, 
And if anybody has questions about her qualification, I urge you to go online and, and really check out her resume. It's for public uh, uh, view uh, at any moment uh, so that we can all just learn more about the candidate and, and this applicant. And, and I think for those who are eager to serve or suggest that there are other qualified candidates, uh, that, I have to say, um, all commissioners have expiring terms. They will all come up for appointments at some time. I hope that no one should give up if they want to serve at this time, and it's not the time that there's opening. There certainly will be other opening and vacancy down the road. And that, in fact, for police commission, uh, if anyone is interested, there are four commissioners appointed by Mayor London Bree and three commissioners appointed by the Board of Supervisors. There are two different, there are two different process, uh, but I believe that you can still submit your names to a mayoral appointee uh, directly to the mayor's office. And of course, like Chair Peskin has mentioned, that for the Board of Supervisor appointee, Understanding the deadlines had always been difficult to meet and be alerted to the deadline. It has been a rolling application process. So I don't think that this is a moment just because uh, to move forward with this appointment should deter anyone's interest to serve on the police commission or get involved. In fact, for those who are interested, I would suggest that to start off by attending police commission uh, meetings, because oftentimes that will be one of the uh, really qualifications that I personally, as a member of the Board of Supervisors, looking for. Yet you may not qualify at this time or have the experience on the commission, but if you actually attend the meetings uh, and be able to get involved and be active, uh, you can prove your qualification down the road uh, beyond your, your work uh, qualification. So I, I think there are many ways to go about it, and, and this process has always been transparent, uh, especially involving the board appointee. Uh, so with that said, uh, I, I think I, I just want to, again, thank uh, Commission President Lias for your service. Thank you for um, for your for willing to continue to serve and, and mind you there there's no salary come with this commission and um so well, I, supervisor a hundred dollars a month we get oh sorry my apology there is a hundred dollar stipend a month uh, for the time of service which if you really think about it i'm sure that anybody can look at the 700 form of any of our commissioners and know that how much their earnings uh uh each year and that you can make that calculation by $100 per month, whether it's is truly a, a labor of love for our city uh, to serve on a police commission. So thank you. Um, thank you, Chair Peskin. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Chair Peskin. Um, and I wanna thank uh, Commissioner Elias for her, um, of course, for her service and for her uh, introductory presentation, which um, was uh, was impressive and I think uh, responded to uh, some of what was raised in a conversation that I had with her um, this weekend. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, and I also, I wanna uh, appreciate uh, the chair's desire to clear um, the dock um, on, his, uh, on, on his way um, Maybe out from his chairship of this of this committee and and leave the next committee with um, a clean slate um, and i don 't have a terrific uh, 
problem with starting this conversation about um, the reappointment of Commissioner Elias um, now. I do think this is quite a, to my mind, quite a bit ahead of an April 30th deadline, but, um, but why not? Um, I don't uh, know that I am going to be prepared today to give the um, vote of full confidence in Commissioner Elias and the police commission that I think the chair is seeking, but I may be able to get myself there by whenever um, uh, you know this board does consider this this nomination. I do have concerns about the state of the San Francisco Police Department um, right now, and I'd like to take this opportunity with my colleagues' indulgence. I'm sure there are members of the public who are eager to weigh in, but uh, since we have this time, um, maybe we can start a conversation that we may be continuing after um, this hearing, uh, Commissioner Elias. The first thing I'd like to talk to you about, we talked a little bit about it this weekend, is um, department staffing. It is my perception that we have a significantly understaffed department, but I'd like to understand your thinking about staffing in the department. Thank you. I think that I would also agree that we do have a staffing issue. But when we had a presentation before the commission regarding staffing, some of these concerns were alleviated. The reality is, is that we have a labor shortage throughout this country and in every profession, and the department is no different. And they are having a difficult time recruiting individuals to come be police officers. In 2019, the department hired Matrix Consulting to conduct a comprehensive staffing study of the department. In <clears throat> 2022, uh, I think it was March, they presented before the commission with the results from their findings from 2019. And they also concluded that there were significant staffing de deficits across the board between sworn and non-sworn professional staff within the department. However, there were a few problems with their uh, study. One, it was a little outdated, meaning the results um, had, uh, it was based on the 2019 data. So they're presenting in 2022, um, and so we have a three-year gap, if you will, of what the staffing needs of the department are. Additionally, the staffing report only was only conducted on uh, sort of lower-ranking members in the department and in terms of the call times, the response times, and what they, their tasks and the time allocation of the various tasks they are required to do. When they presented, some of the uh, recommendations that I had for the staffing um, or for the consulting firm were the following. One, I wanted to know why there wasn't an analysis of upper management. The police department does have a large upper management and are a little top heavy. I wanted to know what is the time allocation for the assistant chiefs, the command staff, the district, uh, the deputy uh, chiefs. I wanted to know what, what their time is being spent on. What areas where are there that we can be more efficient, that we can maybe divert resources? We're in a situation where we need all hands on deck. That includes from the very top, the assistant chiefs, all the way to the patrol. We need everyone chipping in. And in order for that to happen, or in order for us to make that transition, to figure out how we can become more efficient, how we can utilize the limited resources we have, we need to be able to have data and analysis on what it is that they're doing, where the time management is going, and 
can we maybe pull them and help the rank and file who are on the street patrolling? Because we've heard from the community, the community says we feel safer when we see police officers walking around, particularly in the Tenderloin. And when that strategy changed, because we've had various conversations with the police commission of the Tenderloin and what's being done and what the policing strategies are, We've heard from the community that says, look, when you redirect police officers who are patrolling and we can see them, not only does it make the community feel safer, it allows them to engage with the officers that are patrolling their community. They're able to respond to situations that arise before they escalate. So I think that that kind of analysis in term, uh, by the consulting firm needs to be done so that we can figure out how to be more efficient. Also, um, you know, being short-staffed at the police department isn't something entirely new. This has happened in 2016 and 2017, where we had, um, and at that time, we, there was a mandated level of uh, police staff that was required per the, per the, uh, statute, the statute, um, which was then uh, repealed by Prop E. So, um, and during that time, they, the department was also considered understaffed. And there were still issues that were facing the department, which were different some of which are different than today, but you know, this is not a new crisis for the department. And back then they were resilient enough to bounce back. And I believe that we will be again in, in this situation. Um, but again, that we can't really, I think, have conversations or figure out solutions that um, are long lasting if we don't have some of the data and analysis that we need to make those kind of decisions. Because one of the things that we constantly hear at the commission, and I'm sure you do as the Board of Supervisors. When we get complaints from community members, when we get complaints that police officers aren't doing their jobs, the answer is always, we're short staff, we're short staff. But we have to, we understand that. That's where we are right now, we get it. But that can't end the conversation because the, the conversation needs to be, all right, we know this, so what are we doing about it? This is the situation we're in. We're in a labor shortage, so what are we doing about it? How do we fix this? How do we divert resources? How do we get, you know, uh, higher ranking members of the department to chip in to start doing some of the things that, unfortunately, the rank and file officers or the patrol officers or the ones that are on the beat, they can't do? How do we improve our response times? How do we make the community feel that they're being heard and that the when they are calling to report crimes, priority A or priority B calls, that our response time is acceptable, that we're responding to these calls. So those are sort of the conversations that I think need to be had and the, salute and, and the solutions that we need to find and figure out from the department and from others on how to address the situation. Thank you. Um, that 2019 um, matrix report, as, as, you, as you point out, came you know, several years into what had been an effort to uh, rebuild uh, police staffing after it had um, kind of fallen off uh, through the through the Great Recession and in the, in the years after that. So when I joined this board, um, you know, I think we were keeping track of. I, th I think there was the perception that we were understaffed. We were certainly under the um, you know the, the charter mandate, um, and I think that that report that was done in 2019, again coming after there had been significant efforts to hire up and pushing through a number of additional academies um, showed that in the estimation of the people who prepared the study, we were still something like, I think, 250-ish 
That's, it was somewhere in the 200s officers short at that time. Do you think that number was right? Do you think that matrix analysis was right in 2019? In terms of the actual numbers of officers that were? Yeah, in terms of sort of roughly what the gap probably was, or did you feel like their approach to that was correct? N not all the way, because I, I don't think the report clearly stated how an increase in officers is going to translate into improved public safety. I don't think that they answered that portion of the question. It was more, this, this is how many officers we have. This is what they do on a daily basis. This is how much time it takes. This is how much the calls for service, the time is for calls of service. Um, and this is how they respond. So it was more of, you know, an analysis of the, the need for police officers in terms of numbers and, uh, and analyzing what they do in the time management portion. I don't think it addressed the other portion, which is really important, which is, okay, so if we start increasing the staffing, we start increasing the number of officers, how is that going to make it safe for our communities? Um, so I think we, there's that part of the conversation or the analysis that needs to be included in it. And so- And additionally, yeah. I think that even, oh, I'm so sorry. I think, and, you know, I, the report was like a hundred and something plus pages. So, it, um, but at, when they did the analysis, they had like, I think 1800 sworn members in the department. And it was still more than tw uh, 20, I think there was like 20, 20 sworn officers per 10,000 residents or the staffing levels were something to, to the effect that even, in, even with the low rates and the deficiency in staffing, we were still higher than most other California police agencies uh, in 2019. So even though we had the staffing shortage, we were still doing better in terms of the number um, ratio than other and uh, cities and yeah. counties. The, right, right, right. The, the number that the department is now putting out is the, the shortage is something like 500 officers with the notion that we're losing about 100 a year, possibly more. Um, and so they start from that 200 and 50 or whatever, and then look at what, what we've largely lost and the, and the failure to um, add on to it. Um, you know, to my mind, it sounds pretty dire if you think that that 2019 analysis was maybe right or in the neighborhood of right, and then, um, and then see the, you know, the, the diminution in the force since then and the challenges that the department is having in, recording, in recruiting new folks to join, but I don't really know what the, I mean, I have a notion of what the consequences of an understaffed police department is. I think Oakland has an understaffed and has long had a, a pretty seriously understaffed department, and I think some of what has happened over there has been related to some of those staffing challenges, but um, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on the consequences of an understaffed department and how that relates to implementation of the, um, you know, the reforms that I think, you know, you're correctly proud of. Well, again, I think the reality is we're in a labor shortage. That's just the reality. But more importantly, I think what's important to remember is the efforts that the Board of Supervisors have made to transfer some of the uh, nonviolent calls and some of the responsibilities that the department is plagued with, with to other agencies. 
which I think does alleviate some of the burden because the police department cannot handle everything. They are not mental health experts. They are not there um, or, or equipped like a mental health professional or expert is to handle people in crisis, especially mental health crisis. So I think that the work that the Board of Supervisors has done in allowing some of these responsibilities that the department is tasked with to be shared with others um, is, is a great solution and a step in the right direction. Do you think there's anything that we can do other than uh, trying to um, be smarter about how we use officers and use other, uh, you know, use other um, city employees to do things? And, and um, I want to ask you about civilianization, but um, I mean, how do you think we change the staffing problem? I think that we really need to actively recruit. I want to let you know that we are proud to, or I'm proud to say that we recently um, signed a contract with the 30 by 30, um, which is an initiative to increase females in policing. Uh, San Francisco, like several other cities, have signed on to this initiative. And the goal is to get 30% of the workforce uh, of the police department to be women by 2023. And the amazing thing that we learned about is that not only having women on the force and increasing um, the diversity, but the benefits of having female officers based on the research indicates decreases in uses of force, fewer arrests and searches. Uh, they're named less in complaints and discipline, and the community has indicated they felt safer and the ability to relate to the police officers was exponential. So this uh, initiative gives the department guidance on how to get there and get the department and requires the department to report on the progress it's done in order to fulfill this initiative. Additionally, the status of women report by, of the San Francisco Police Department um, indicated that there is a little gender bias and stereotypes within the police department. They also propose solutions on how to alleviate that problem. Um, and so I think that really addressing issues like the female presence within the department, actively recruiting, utilizing new techniques and strategies to really get people to want to become police officers is critical. And I think that that's what the department is currently doing. And I think we need to continue with the, those kind of strategies, along with asking for the Board of Supervisors to help the department when it needs help in terms of, um, you know, maybe diverting some of the tasks and responsibilities that they currently have to other agencies. Yeah, I mean, what the department's doing now is plainly not working because we are graduating classes with 13, I think there have now been two that have had 12 or 13 graduates when it should be 50. Um, yes, and that's another, oh, sorry. I said I would ask about civilianization. There, there is a controller's report um, around there, around here somewhere, um, uh, you know, many, many years old. Uh, this was a project of uh, former President Norman Yee um, looking at uh, trying to civilianize some of the positions in the department. It wasn't a huge number, but it was in the dozens, I think, um, to try and, uh, you know, have more officers able to be in the field. Is that something that the commission has looked at? We, we have, we have. And I think that the department actually has uh, presented um, on their plan to do just that. I think it was um, in the budget cycle when they came before us and they indicated, I think that there were, I wanna say 
um, a, I want to say 20, and I, I can't remember the number, and I'm sorry, but there were a group of, of positions that they had shown us that they were going to transition from a sworn to non-sworn and civilianize um, those positions, which we thought was a great idea because I think it does help alleviate the burden from the sworn officers and that we can focus those sworn officers on what we, what needed to be done in terms of, you know, the patrol and the, the policing aspect of the, the job. All right, that's my staffing questions. Um, the, the next <laughs> kind of set of questions I have uh, relate to how you how you think about balancing your, the different roles you play as a commissioner on the police commission. Being a fire commissioner is, um, I think, a simpler task in that the fire commissioners <laughs> are, um, I mean, there are issues that come up and there are tough policy challenges and there's sometimes moments when uh, fire commissioners may find themselves um, you know, at odds with their appointing authority or um, you know, uh, looking into things that, um, you are uncomfortable for the city to talk about. But in general, um, the fire commissioners are kind of um, boosters uh, for the fire department. Um, and in the same way that supervisors are often boosters for things that are happening in our districts that we wanna highlight and, um, and, and try to uh, get attention for the good things that are going on. I, th I think that's part of your role as a com police commissioner, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, but you also plainly have another role that makes that complicated, which is, or at least two, which one is, that I can think of, is dispensing discipline or adjudicating claims that when, um, that an officer uh, has, has conducted him or herself in a, in a way that is not the way we want officers conducting themselves. Um, and then setting policies that may be difficult uh, conversations within the department and may be asking officers to do their jobs differently. And I'm curious how you think about balancing those different functions um, where partly, I well, how, you know, I, I don't need to say anymore. What do you think? I think, like I said before, there's a huge learning curve in this job and it's difficult. And, you know, I think that it's important to highlight our successes, but it's also important to have these difficult conversations because if we're not willing to tackle what's, what we need to, then I don't think we're really going anywhere. And I feel like based on my experience on this commission is that when we tackle these difficult conversations, we get so much further in where we wanna go. Um, and it creates a space for us to learn from each other and to learn how to get better. One of the things that I, I forgot to mention um, in my um, list of items that I agendized was Operation Genesis. Um, which is a very successful program within the, the police department, and it's led by Officer JJ and others. Uh, and what they do is they take uh, kids from certain communities and they go on a yearly trip to Africa, which because of COVID they haven't. But more importantly, not only do they do that, you know that they um, at, there are donations and, and funders who provide uh, money for this program so that they can um, provide scholarships to kids who go to college. And um, we had the, uh, and they not only provide scholarships, but they provide supplies. There was one um, uh, student who, this was a uh, first time uh, ever being, you know, first time in their family going to college and they needed things like sheets and, you know, book supplies and things like that. And through this program, 
they were allowed to provide that student with the essentials they needed as a first year college student. So it's like, those are the kinds of successes that, you know, we also celebrate on the police commission, but unfortunately they don't, they're not salacious headlines. So you don't really hear about them that much. Um, so, you know, there are things like that, or the fact that we did, we highlighted the fact that our CMCR program received national recognition and our, one of our own, Lieutenant Nevin received an award. Additionally, our FTFO, which is our field training field operations, which is, you know, an innovative unit that, um, is really setting the way for how we respond to critical incidents. And, you know, they, they review a lot of the use of force and a lot of the, um, <clears throat> the situations that are that police officers face and they figure out how we do this better what can we do to make this better and to improve where we are and they also too are being recognized and actually being used as models for other jurisdictions and again there's all of this great work that i do you know we agendize and we make sure that you know we want to get it out there but unfortunately those aren't the headlines that you mm -hmm. see do you think that rank-and-file officers believe that the police commission understands the job they do? The majority don't. And in fact, I, I go out, you know, I go to the district stations. When I first joined the commission, I went out there and, um, you know, I was like, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's happening. And there are, you know, it's, in fact, that's, the first time I met Dr. Ford, he was a captain at Bayview and I went there and I, you know, asked at roll call the members to tell me what, you know, how to make this better, what we can do. Uh, and he reminded me that this is a very uh, structured organization. It is very hierarchical and there's a chain of command that needed to be adhered to. And as a civilian, I, I didn't really understand that because I was like, well, what's the problem? But they take this very seriously. And I think that we have to be respectful of that. But on the other side, I think that so it's just, important just to understand, do you, do you feel like you were being told you should not go to a, a roll call? No, I was being reminded of how the structure of the organization was and that if there are complaints or if there are suggestions, they have a protocol. They have to go through their chain of command. They have a written directives unit that does the policy. So it's about, you know, procedures and following those rules. Um, and that's what it was about. And. I, you know, this is their agency, this is their work. And I have to be, I had to be respectful of that. And I wasn't aware and I learned, that was another lesson I learned. But I also, you know, was able to have conversations with certain members of the department to be like, look, you know, when I'm writing policy, most of the people in the room are command staff. And I, it, that doesn't, while I appreciate their input and, and their feedback, I wanna know what's happening by the person who's patrolling in the Tenderloin or in the Mission or in Bayview, because they're the ones that have to read all of these policies and then implement them. So if there's a problem, like they're telling me, look, it's not clear, it's not concise, I'm not understanding, there's too many of them. Well then, as a policymaker, it's my job to keep that in mind as I'm writing policy. And it really has changed my lens and my perspective on how I write policy now, because you know, lawyers do ruin things sometimes. We always want to include every situation. We always want to use the big words. We always want to use, you know, be very verbose. And that doesn't help them. They want it clear. They want it concise. They want to know what to do. And they want consistency. And so it's with those guiding principles that I now uh, use when I write these policies. And it's important for me. I can't speak to other commissioners, but for me, I need to know what they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Because as a lawyer, I've been in positions where I get, you know, um, instructions from my boss 
on how to do things. And then I go into court and I'm like, yeah, that's not how it works. Like that's, it, this is, like your policy doesn't work when I'm in court and I have a judge yelling at me. So though, you know, and I don't want officers to be in that kind of situation. I want them to tell me, tell me what's working, tell me what isn't, tell me why this is a problem. And I think that we do need to engage the rank and file more, especially as we make policy. And that's why I really made that carve out for 301 because you know, we're not able to go to every district station or, you know, those members that aren't able to, um, you know, voice, have their voices heard, they're now able to. They're now able to send an email or an online submission through our commission website about what they think about policy or any other concern or grievances they have. So it opened up a direct line of communication, in a sense, to the police commission. And I think it's important that com the other commissioners and myself are aware of that. How many of those district stations have you visited? I want to say half a dozen. And I also have had conversations with just officers. When I, you know, <laughs> what I do is I, I listen to Tippi Mazuko, and he told me, when you are out on the street, go up to an officer and offer to buy him a cup of coffee. And so that's what I do. I'll buy him a coffee or I just go up and talk to them and ask them, you know, sometimes they don't even know who I am, and, and which is fine. What? But I start questioning them and asking them what they think and how they, you know, what, what they like about their job, what they don't, and having that interaction. When was your last coffee with a cop? Oh, my gosh. Where, what are we in, November? No, December. I want to say October. That's great. Um, October. Do, you go, do you go to graduations? Um, I did at the beginning. Uh, I haven't been to the last uh, few because, you know, we've had new commissioners. And so we want to be, I wanted to be able to give them an opportunity to be there and experience it. Um, Cause it's pretty cool. You know, when that's, I went to the, when I first started and I went. That's not a Brown X problem. I don't I'm think, sorry, right? I don't think that's a Brown X problem for, for, for more of you to go. And when was the last time you did a ride along? Gosh, it's been more than a year, more than a year, probably, on, honestly, probably before COVID. Okay. Um, you, you brought up the, uh, and I, I know there are members of the public, so I will, I will try to abbreviate this, but, and, and uh, I, I look forward to continuing this conversation with you offline. Um, but, um, you know, you, you raised, you, you said you yourself have had, a, you know, a hearing on clearance rates, and I think there is, a broad perception in the public that there's been a uh, decline, a pretty significant decline in enforcement in a whole bunch of areas over the last decade. Um, we've seen it and explored it around traffic enforcement, um, which, which uh, you have also looked at. I would love to talk about that, but I actually want to ask you about drug enforcement and enforcement of, um, of street-level drug sales. Um, I have been told she doesn't believe in that. Um, what do you think about using officers um, to break up street-level um, drug sales and um, arresting drug dealers? I think that we have to be strategic about it. I think that we have had a long history where we've tried that approach and it's not working. I think that the low-level dealers that are there um, and that are being arrested, as soon as they're arrested, you know, they're either... I mean, there's 
a dozen more that are right back on doing the same thing. Um, so I think that we need new strategies or solutions to how we're dealing with this. Um, I don't like walk. I mean, that's what they're telling us. I mean, that's what the data, that's what the data is showing. I mean, when we have our weekly or not our weekly, our seems like monthly tenderloin discussion, that's what the police department is telling us. They're telling us that they're arresting um, these individuals that, that are committing these offenses. So I have to take their word for them. My last question I have so many more, but the last one I'll ask you is the most important thing this commission may be tasked with doing over the next four years is hiring a chief. I hope Bill Scott sticks around for a long, long time, but you never know. Um, what would you be looking for in a chief? Someone... who wants to invest in their department. Someone who wants to make sure that the morale issue is tackled head on. Someone who is not afraid to have difficult conversations and someone who is willing to acknowledge that sometimes people's interactions with police aren't always positive. And sometimes they are. But I think we need someone who's going to acknowledge that and not pretend that it didn't exist. Or someone who's gonna be critical of not only their own staff, but the way that they envision where the department goes. So I want someone who really, I think, embodies the sentiment of the 20, 21st century policing uh, and really does want to make a change. And someone who, really gets the fact that saying that you believe in police reform does not mean that you are against public safety. Those two um, concepts are not mutually exclusive. They work in combination because when our public feels safe and there's trust and there's accountability, I think that that's part of the reform effort and we see results, we see improvements. So I think those are the kinds of things that would be, you know, important to me. Okay. Um, I look forward to continue, continuing this conversation with you. Thank you, Commissioner Elias, and I'll get out of the way. Thank you. You're on mute, Supervisor um, Peskin. Thank you, Commissioner. You'd think after three years I'd have figured that out, but it's been a while since I've had to isolate um, a couple of things uh, before we go to public comment. Uh, one is that Commissioner Elias has a hard stop at 1230. So depending on the length of public comment, um, she may or may not be around uh, when we ultimately vote on this matter. Before I open up to public comment, let me state my intention, uh, which is to do the following, which is to duplicate the motion, amend one motion to set forth, uh, as has been done in the past, that it is the Board of Supervisors' intent to reappoint 
Commissioner Elias, and then uh, have the second motion be sent to the board once the new board is uh, seated, and that would ratify the first motion, uh, which has also been done by the Board of Supervisors in the past uh, when we are on the cusp of a changing board. So in other words, uh, one motion would be voted on tomorrow. That would be the intent motion. The other one would be voted on after the new board is seated, and that would be the ratification of said intent. I have circulated those two draft motions to you, colleagues. Uh, they state what I just said, and with that, are there any members of the public who would like to comment on item number three that are in the board chambers? Yes. Uh, one moment, please. Uh, yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that'll be your cue to begin your comment. Um, thank you. Uh, you can begin your public comment. My name is Frank Noto, representing Stop Crime SF. We strongly urge the board to wait until April to make this appointment. This will allow qualified applicants a chance to wait to apply for this seat and be considered through an open and transparent public process. When their appointments to this position in 2018, there were 12 applicants for two seats. We should allow people to apply to serve and stand before the Rules Committee to share why they want to serve. Only one applicant has applied at this time. Supervisor, if, if you wouldn't mind looking at me as, as I speak, that would be greatly appreciated instead of looking at your, at your um, computer. I'm glad to hear the chair. I'm actually, I'm actually taking notes, Frank. Oh, I'm not talking about you, Supervisor Peskin. You, you, you're not here. I'm talking to Supervisor Chan, who has not looked at me. Supervisor Chan, well, never mind. I'm glad to hear that the, uh, the chair has publicly announced that the appointment will be put off uh, until we get a new board. Um, but I urge you to hold off until mid-April, since the term of office does not expire until late that month. Automatic reappointment of politically connected commissioners is, is disrespectful. Um, as Supervisor Mandelman mentioned, there are people who are dissatisfied with the performance of the police commission and the police department and are highly concerned about crime. It's also disrespectful to potential applicants. Uh, um, waiting until April allows the board and the public to thoroughly vet all candidates, especially in light of the serious allegations of conflict of interest violations against the commissioner. Now is not the time to discuss these, apparently, but they des deserve a serious public airing. Uh, I also want to say, she, she mentioned that this is not a new crisis of, of understaffing, um, but she's not doing anything about it. It's time for her to own up to that. Um, and if we're top-heavy, that's her Speaker responsibility. Speaker time has elapsed. Uh, uh, Supervisor Peskin interrupted me, so if I could have another 10 seconds, thank you. If we are serious about engaging the public, we need a thorough evaluation of all the applicants, um, including an evaluation of, the, of her performance. She said, uh, um, 
I hope we can, um, the commissioner talked about the learning curve. She doesn't consider. Uh, that's more than 10 seconds, Thank you. Frank. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Yes, uh, Alan Burrado, uh Supervisor Mandelman, thank you for uh, your questions today for the candidate um, and for your measured comments, your um, interest in public safety, and your uh, genuine uh, respect for this process. Uh, District 8 appreciates it very much. Um, but in contrast to that, we have something from District 1. And I want everybody to go back and take a look at the uh, tape so that I, you don't think that I'm mischaracterizing statements. But what you heard today from this Supervisor Chan was, I've already made up my mind, and anybody who wants to apply for a commission uh, position they can just wait and wait for the opening for the mayor appointment. Uh, her mind is made up. And I just want to send a message out to San Francisco, get your applications in for this position. We need a change on this commission. Disregard what you heard from Supervisor Chan. Um, and that's really all I have to say today. Thank you very much. And again, thank you, Supervisor Maneman. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Rome Jones. Um, I've been on some of those working groups with Commissioner Elias, and I just wanted to come say that. Granted, I do also have concerns about the department or even the commission and different things of that nature, or even some appointments to that commission and other ones. Um, it would take me longer than two minutes to talk about them. Saying all of that to say, with those things, I'm very familiar with Commissioner Elias. I've presented to both the commission and been in these working groups, and I think that every time there was like a disconnect between community and like either the police department or even the proceedings that we were in, she always took time to like make sure I understood what was going on and make sure like she checked in with me about how I felt even before or after the meeting, um, assuring me that she heard me at the end of meetings, almost like able to recite things that I've mentioned and like asking how we can get more community input in those rooms, even though there's like a long list of barriers to that, which again would take me longer than two minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, so super supportive of her. Also like feel as if I see the disconnect in like doing this super early and how like it could appear like favoritism. But I would say that from my opinion, she's probably not the problem. And I'd love to talk about what the problems are, but I don't have time for that. Have a good day. Good to see you supervisors. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good morning, I'm Richard Perina. I live in District 3. I would like to ask one question. What's the big hurry? In the last election, we elected several candidates that are representing the will of the people 
in the direction that this city is going. It's commonly called a more moderate way. Why not let a moderate candidate who beat an existing um, board member vote on this issue? Why do we have to do it now? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, that completes the, the in-person speakers. I believe we can move on to our remote callers at this time. Thank you, Mr. Young. Next speaker, remote speaker, please. Thank you, Chair and Committee members. Eliana Bender, Policy Associate for Glide. On behalf of the organization, we proudly and enthusiastically offer our support for the reappointment of Cindy Elias to the Police Commission for a four-year term. At Glide, we can speak directly to Cindy's keen expertise, beginning with her career in public service. As the attorney for the Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Program, Cindy worked closely with the Police Department, District Attorney's Office, and both Glide and the Felton Institute to help develop and implement a successful program aimed at reducing recidivism. LEAD made a significant difference in the lives of program participants, and Cindy's commitment to racial justice and addressing cycles of poverty and marginalization left a lasting impression with Glide. At the commission, Cindy has consistently represented the concerns of the wider community and championed genuine police accountability and systems change. This includes reforms to the city's police policies on use of force, investigation, bias policing, and release of records and public transparency. Cindy is currently helping chair the review process of the city's traffic enforcement policy, as she discussed which has involved unprecedented community outreach for a DGO, and this has helped ensure that people who are impacted by the harms of racially biased policing and their experiences are centered. Cindy's skills and accomplishments as an attorney all recommend her as an ideal member of this body, and we have the utmost respect for her and faith in her as an advocate for the people of San Francisco. We are confident Cindy's inclusion will help the commission continue to fulfill its obligations to the community and provide effective oversight of the department. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, yes, I oppose this early appointment of Commissioner Elias. Um, I think it is way too soon. We have to wait, uh, it feels political. And I am not for it. Um, I appreciate Raphael Mandelman, Supervisor Mandelman's comments. Um, he's my supervisor at District 8. He, um, he makes a lot of sense. And I feel like um, on the part of uh, Supervisor Peskin and on the super part of Supervisor Connie Chan, this is very um, you know, astute. While astute, it is a political maneuver. So I do not appreciate that. Um, and I think we do need to hold off on this conversation, which we never had it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, good morning, supervisors. Uh, my name is Sheba Bandiba. I'm a public policy manager at HomeRise, a permanent supportive housing provider in the city and a member of the Treatment on Demand Coalition. I'm calling on behalf of the Treatment and Demand Coalition, urging the board to reappoint Cindy Elias as police commissioner for a four-year term. Cindy Elias has been a prominent figure for communities of color in San Francisco. She believes that racial justice and equity should be the center of SFPD's policing practices. 
Um, her continued advocacy for marginalized and, and undocumented communities aligns with our coalition's values in creating transformational um, system change. Our coalition believes and is confident that Cindy's um, inclusion and presence on the, on the commission will be a pivotal, will be pivotal in, in fulfilling community obligations um, and provide effective oversight as well as reform for this department. Please reappoint Cindy Elias as police commissioner. Thank you so much. <clears throat> uh, thank you very much. Uh, can we have our next caller, please? Good morning, supervisors. Um, please get well soon, um, Supervisor. Prayers up from D5. My name is Mr. Dennis Williams, Jr., sub-chair of the Fillmore Merchants Collaborative, founder of No Racism, No Hate San Francisco. It's a grassroots organization. My grassroots organization and a plethora of D5 Black, Latino, and Cantonese-speaking residents commend Supervisor Chen for forward thinking and commend Supervisor Aaron Pesky. As chair of Oversight Committee, San Francisco voters and residents, excuse me, expect bold leadership and intelligent choices and appointees. Our statistics show Mayor Lyndon Breed opposes supervisors appointees at a large percentage, which is alarming, but expects her appointees meanwhile to be included. Mayor Lyndon Breed being upset, alleged, at her appointee, Mr. Larry Yee, should have no bearings in our supervisor's decisions. I believe in keeping Cindy Elias is imperative in her position, um, present position, excuse me. This allows supervisors one less task and can focus on serving San Francisco residents pressing issues as highlighted in our surveys. Homeless being one, crime, and a lack of black real estate developing companies in both homeless and affordable housing builds. Um, the egregious lack of the latter is very, excuse me, the egregious lack of the latter in both industries by the supervisors who have, excuse me, I'm, I'm lost in words, who have agendas in keeping the exclusion of blacks out of these things needs to be addressed. The anti-black movement needs to be addressed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Next, please. Hello, my name is Samina Usman. I'm the Senior Government Relations Coordinator for uh, the Council on American Islamic Relations, San Francisco Bay Area. And I wanted to speak in support of Cindy Elias. I hope that she um, will have her term um, extended and, uh, you know, be able to serve another term. I mean, she has worked successfully on passing use of force policies, investigatory, excuse me, investigatory investigations, um, prohibition against police, bias policing and also um, release of records to the, to the public. And so, you know, these are really important issues for the community um, that are creating these community protections. And so we really want to keep somebody like her who is a seasoned person who has served, you know, a number of terms. And so we want to um, have her, uh, we'd love if she could continue to be working to serve the community. And uh, so we hope that this would be reviewed as well. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, 
Hi, my name is Amina Anchasi, and I just want to speak in support of the reappointment of Commissioner Elias because I feel like she best represents the interests of the community. She's shown consistent dedication to transparency, like her work ensuring that the public has access to records, and 5.01, the policy that harrows in on when officers decide to use force in a situation. Um, additionally, on a personal level, her commitment to the fight against racial profiling is something that's important to me, especially her work to end um, pretextual stops, which has shown, shown light on the rates of force used against specifically people of color. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. So supervisors, right off the bat, let me state to you all very clearly, I, I try to attend most of the police commission meetings and I support uh, uh, Cindy Elias 1 million percent. Some of you supervisors think that y'all can make some general statements and we're going to fall for the trap. The fire department is a cabal. And as to the other supervisor who tried to convince us that we must listen to her, she better limit her comments to 15 seconds. Now having said that, uh, my advice to Cynthia Elias is stay on course, as a strong woman, you need to represent us all. And you have the support of those who can discern. The ability to discern is important. All these uh, questions about hiring the police force, that should be on the mayor. And uh, her convoluted attempts to appoint a president uh, and then, you know, the commissioners choose uh, you as the vice president, uh, you as the president, and Overstone as the vice president was the right thing. We are living in very difficult times, and it's uh, a shame that divisiveness at the Board of Supervisors. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, yes, my name is Yolanda Williams. I'm the president of the Officers for Justice. We support the reappointment of Cindy Elias. She has been an ethical leader. She's been supportive of police reform, accountability, and transparency. She has made sure that the police commission's discipline is sensible, equitable, and, of course, under leadership. We have experienced a reduction in the use of force. I think that she has shown and demonstrated her commitment and expertise, and she has been very impartial and fair in making sure that the community is heard and the voices of the minorities, specifically women, are addressed on this commission's meetings. And I think she is the voice of the people, and we need to stop questioning her about issues that she has no control over, which is the issues of the hiring and the shortages of police personnel. And Supervisor Mandelman, if you want to discuss this, I am a subject matter expert after 32 years of policing, recently retired. I'm more than happy to speak with you about what needs to happen within this police department. And I really think that Mayor Bree needs to put aside her differences. Sure, she does have the majority of the appointments. However, the people's voice needs to be heard. And we're saying keep Cindy Elias in her position. She is our chosen person. Thank you. Thank you, officer. Next speaker, please. 
Yes, thank you for the opportunity to speak. I, I don't know whether I would vote for Cindy Elias or not. I have recently started watching the police commission meetings for the last two months, and I am not happy. And I think that rushing to judgment is not, it's something that's just repugnant to me. It reminds me of Mitchell Connell, not wanting to listen to appointees during the Obama administration to the Supreme Court. Why are we doing this now? Because there are several items that caught my attention in the last three weeks at the police commission meeting, or four weeks. On October 5th, I think it was, we had a 30 to 40 minute presentation on the 30-30 group that Ms. Elias, Cindy Elias, just spoke about. At the end of that, which I thought the presentation was really well done and do support it, and she asked Chief Scott what he thought, and he said, well, we've approved and sent in for funding to join the meeting, join the organization. To me, that's a total lack of communication between the police commission and the police department. How in the world can we have a 30 minute presentation or 40 minute presentation on something that's already been approved? And the communication lines clearly don't exist. The second thing that I wanted to bring up was at a recent meeting, the last meeting actually, was on the 901 agenda, which there was a conversation between Mr. Carter Overstone and Jim Byrne about one of the provisions that they want to strike out, and that is the no turn signal, not citing people for no turn signal. And the very next day, and I don't know whether there was a cause and effect here, the very next day, a motorcyclist was killed on Cesar Chavez for a car that was making a left-hand turn. And I just don't, I don't understand why we have to throw out the law. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning or afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Latoya Pitcher and I am a resident of San Francisco. I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. But first, before I make my comments in support of reappointing Commissioner Alliance, I have to address how Supervisor Chan was just addressed disrespectfully as if she was a child or a lower level human being by a member of the public and nobody on the board said or did anything about it. To me, that is evidence of misogyny and it's disgusting given the political situation at play that's currently targeting our Commissioner Alliance. The questions and comments that were asked earlier are really performance review questions that are not reflective of her ability to do her job, but a petty political attack to remove someone who has successfully prioritized people while balancing policies and politics. This effort is a classist, anti-Black, and racist attack to grab that political power at the expense of the people. The function of the police department doesn't rest solely on one commissioner, and it's completely asinine that no other members who are responsible for the state of PD are included in this conversation, which is a poorly veiled attempt masked as accountability and equity in the name of misogyny, racism, and dirty politics. The same force behind this, this group or who's coming after Alliance is the same force that was behind ANSU. And when the people spoke on November 8th, we sent a message to those bullies that we are sick and tired of racism, classism, and dirty politics in our city. Please reappoint Commissioner Elias. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning, Chair and committee members. My name is Eric Arguello, and I've been a resident of San Francisco all my life. I'm also the advocacy manager for GLIDE under the Center for Social Justice. 
I'm calling today to offer support for the reappointment of Cindy Elias to the Police Commission for a four-year term. Cindy's record speaks for itself, and we are confident that Cindy's inclusion and as a woman of color will help the Commission continue to fulfill its obligation to the community and to provide effective oversight of the department. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you. My name is Peter Santina, and I'm calling to offer my support for Cindy Elias for this position. She's an excellent choice for public safety, and while she has been on the commission, it's brought San Francisco forward. Clear rules for police conduct are important for police officers as well as for the public. Institutional memory and institutional knowledge is also crucial. Anything can sound great in a vacuum, but Ms. Elias has been in a position to have already known uh, what conversations have been had with the department and other important voices, has already studied the data for years, already knows what has been tried and what has worked and what hasn't. I think also um, it's important to note that we're very lucky to have someone of Ms. Elias's caliber and experience who's willing to take on the often onerous and time-consuming task of serving on the commission on top of her day job. A lot of people, and I'm not throwing shade on anyone in particular, but a lot of people who try to get on commissions and boards are people who are motivated by either a desire to promote wide-ranging ideological views that often have very little connection to the actual work of the commissioner board, or they want to raise their public profile in an effort to win a higher office. And Ms. Elias is neither of those. She's somebody who can do the day-to-day -day job, who prepares for meetings and reads long, boring documents, shows up to meetings, works with other people and organizations, and actually cares about the work product that is produced by the police commission. So I hope that the Board of Supervisors approves her um, as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Cheryl Thornton, and I'm a resident of District 10, and I'm in support of the reappointment of Cindy Elias. Uh, Cindy Elias is an advocate for the community of colors. She's focused on issues such as bias in police and use of force. Um, she's an excellent choice for this commission. And lastly, I want to say that um, the gerrymandering that went on in redistricting had, is, is, is this is uh, actually silencing the voices of people of color who are uh, underrepresented and don't have a voice. So I would like to see somebody like Cindy Elias continue as a commissioner to represent people of color who in this city don't currently have a voice. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name's Alice Xavier, I'm a native San Franciscan. I'm calling to oppose this attempt for early reappointment of Cindy Elias to the police commission at this time. Uh, we need to have a fair appointment process, allow other candidates the opportunity to apply for appointment. There is no need to rush this process. You cannot assume there are no better candidates who may wish to apply. Everyone needs to be allowed the opportunity to have a voice at this table. We've got a new supervisor coming in in the new year, and the people he represents deserve to be heard. Allow these people the opportunity to have their voices heard. Allow for a fair and legal nomination process. 
There are real concerns about the direction of the police department. All of our communities want to be included in addressing these concerns. We do also need time to look at the conflict of interest issue. We expect honesty and fairness from all of our elected, elected officials who represent all of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, good morning. Thank you, uh, Chair and committee members. My name is Candy Smallwood. I grew up in the Bayview District of San Francisco. I live in the Lower Haight now. I am calling to offer support for the reappointment of Cindy Elias to the Police Commission for an additional four-year term. Um, recently, I was at a meeting and I, um, I watched uh, Commissioner Elias um, sit at a table and, and have a discussion with the youth. Um, as someone who grew up in San Francisco, I worry, a woman of color, I worry about the city, what's going to be left for my nieces and nephews growing up. And to see the, the commissioner sitting there and, and actually having a conversation with the youth, uh, it, it, it just made me feel really hopeful uh, that there are people who care about the youth, who care about racial justice and equity, who care about police accountability, who care about police reform, and, and do something that not a lot of us do. Not a lot of us actually listen to the youth. And she was sitting there having a discussion and listening to the youth. And that, that really just increased uh, my support. And so I just wanted to speak on behalf of my support for a, a reappointment of Cindy Elias. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello? Go ahead. Am I on? Yes. Oh, hi, this is Petra de Jesus. I'm a former police commissioner, and I also am calling on, on behalf of Cindy Elias and, and hopefully recommend her for reappointment. I want to point out that she is the first Latina president of the police commission, which is a significant achievement in this city, and she's only one of two women on the commission. Um, I, sat with, I sat with Commissioner Elias, and I know she's dedicated and knowledgeable. She has the understanding of the policy. She works closely with the department. She represents all of our community, in particular our black and brown community. One of the most important things I think she has is institutional knowledge. You have a fairly young commission, and it's important to have somebody who has institutional knowledge when the police department comes to you and says, oh, we can't do that, we've never done that, or this is too new, it's important to have someone to say, no, we have done that, yes, we can do that, because they have the history and the knowledge. If you remove somebody with the historical institutional knowledge, you leave a blind commission, and by the time they learn what's going on, their term has ended. I think she brings a lot to the table. I think you have to understand all the accomplishment we've had is because of the commission's hard work. Um, I think it would be a disadvantage to take her off at this time. She's fair. She's even-tempered. She's the person for this job. We need to preserve her as, a, as, as the president of the commission. She's done great work. Um, and, and the timing is not that important to me. What's more important is that we have qualified, dedicated people who know the policy and know the department. I also agree that we need to look at the, the department itself in terms of recruitment because as Commissioner Mandelman, I mean, Supervisor Mandelman has said, even if you get 50 in a class, you, you qualify 20, you graduate 25 and you lose half of them and, 
it, you lose half of them in the probationary period too. So that's a that's a problem within the department itself. And um, speaker commissioners don't run the department. Thank you. Can we have our next call? Good to hear from you, Commissioner DeJesus. Next speaker, please. Hello, I, I'm Edwin Arango, a community builder with the Roadmap to Peace Collaborative, and I'm here to strongly encourage the re-election of Cindy Elias as president of the Police Commission. She's going to be a commissioner who cares deeply about racial justice, genuine policy accountability, fairness, and systems change, which is what we need in our commission. Today, she highlighted that there is a need to address officer morality, which, like many other people said, doesn't necessarily fall on the police commission, but it does indicate that she is attentive to police officer needs and that morale. Her advocacy for use of force policies, the release of records, stop pretext, um, yeah, stopping pretextual stops, and advocacy rights and resources for undocumented communities is a clear testament that she is being mindful of community, right? So her commitment and insight to addressing racial poverty in social context demonstrates that she's looking to bridge community and the police, which will increase our community's public safety and police morale in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors Peskin, Mandelman, and Chan. My name is Angela Chan. I served on the Police Commission at a, as a board appointee from 2010 to, the, to 2014. I strongly support Cindy Elias for reappointment to the Police Commission. As I'm sure you've seen from today's conversation with Cindy, she's a thoughtful, smart, and collaborative leader. She's recently re-elected as president of the Police Commission because she's skilled at building consensus. As a former commissioner, I really appreciate that she makes herself accessible to the community and is connected to the community. Most importantly, Cindy has shown she's willing to put in the hard work. She has led numerous key reform efforts. Last month, I was at Glide Memorial, which is hosting a listening session with the Human Rights Commission on the Department General Order on Ending Bias Traffic Stops. When I arrived, Cindy was already there. She had arrived early and was seated in the corner of the room with a group of young people of color in deep discussion. She was explaining the DGO to them and clearly was listening to them and engaging them to get their honest feedback grounded in their real world experiences. That scene captured who Cindy is and what a police commission president should be doing, which is explaining the policymaking powers and work of the commission to the people who are most impacted by those policies. I urge you to reappoint Cindy to the Police Commission. San Francisco is fortunate. She's willing to continue to dedicate her invaluable leadership skills to the commission. Thank you. Thank you, former Commissioner Chan. Next speaker, please. Yes, uh, good afternoon. My name is Hatun Nogueira, and I have very uh, brief points here for. One is why is there a big rush here? Other, people's, uh, other people have spoken on this issue. Uh, two, things are not working in San Francisco. I'm tired of living in fear of being a uh, victim of, of a crime. I have security cameras, a security company monitoring my house. I'm tired of this. I'm also three. I'm concerned about the potential conflict of interest with Commissioner Elias and her, uh, in reference to her husband. And four, please do not reappoint her. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Yoel Haile. I'm the criminal justice director for the ACLU of Northern California. 
The ACLU of Northern California is a civil rights organization committed to police accountability, ensuring police transparency, and reducing the footprint of law enforcement in San Francisco. We urge the Board of Supervisors to appoint people such as current commissioner, uh, presidents, current commission president Cindy Elias, who are committed to banning pretext stops, who are committed to the tra transparency of police misconduct records, and who are committed to holding police accountable and provide the appropriate oversight. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Jennifer Tu. I work for the American Friends Service Committee. I'm calling to offer support for the reappointment of Commissioner Cindy Elias. Uh, she gave an amazing presentation of the police commissioner's work earlier today, and I hope we will continue to hear more from her uh, on her police commissioner uh, work. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, that was our last caller waiting on the line for public comment. Okay, so seeing no other speakers on item number three, public comment is closed. And colleagues, I will, uh, well, let me just look at the chat here. And if I can figure out how to press that button, I see nothing in the chat. I think all three of us have spoken. And I know that Ms. Elias has a hard stop in 10 minutes. Uh, and we've got a full calendar ahead of us. So I will make the motions I said I was going to make first. I will duplicate the motion. And as to uh, the first motion, I will amend it such that it becomes a motion of intent to confirm the reappointment of Cindy Elias term ending April 30th, 2027 to the police commission. Um, uh, and send that as a committee report for hearing at the Board of Supervisors tomorrow. And then I, on the second duplicated motion, uh, and that would be a motion to confirm the reappointment of Cindy Elias term ending April 30th, 2027 to the Police Commission. And I would make a motion to send that to the full board with recommendation for our first business hearing in January, which would be January the 10th of 2023. I believe that Supervisor Mandelman would like to speak. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank, thank you, Chair Peskin. And I suspect that these uh, two motions are uh, consistent with um, what the current board and the future board will want to do with uh, Commissioner Elias. So I don't have a particular problem with it for this committee or for the board. I myself will be voting no um, in that I think I still have more work to do to understand uh, the role Commissioner Elias plays on the commission. I will also note that as uh, the members of this commission have shown uh, their um, uh, independence, which is generally a good thing, I think it places an ad added burden on the members of this board to vet um, the appointments that we make. So um, I'll be voting no on these motions today. Understood and respected and noted that Commission uh, Supervisor Mandelman uh, may indeed change his vote at a future meeting. 
on that combined multi-supervisor chan would like to speak also oh supervisor chan my apologies i should turn the chat on my apologies supervisor chan thank you chair preskin i just want a clarification from uh both perhaps yourself or the uh Deputy City Attorney and Pearson here regarding the motion in terms of uh, reading. Today we're uh, voting the motion to in, with the intent to declare our intention to reappoint uh, Commissioner Elias um, and that it's going as a committee report to the for the full board tomorrow and that will be for its first vote or its final vote at the board, at the full board. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, these are motions, so they each have only one vote. And therefore, as we duplicated this file, so it's the motion to, with the intent to reappoint and um, with the committee report going to full board for one vote, but the actual appointment, but the actual appointment to reappoint Commissioner Elias is actually the duplicated motion that is going to be voted out today, but not as a committee report, then you actually come to the full board at the first meeting. That is correct. And which only also require one reading, one vote at the full board. That's right. Thank you. Okay, um, uh, why don't we just take them in order on the motion of intent uh, as a committee report with recommendation, a roll call please. Uh, yes, on that motion, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mannerman. No. Mannerman, no. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes with uh, Supervisor Mannerman dissenting in committee. And then on the motion to confirm, which will be sent in the normal course of business and appear at the full board of supervisors on January 10th with recommendation, a roll call please. Yes, on that motion, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. No. Mandelman, no. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Aye. The motion passes with uh, Supervisor Mandelman dissenting in committee. All right, next item please. Yes, next on the agenda is item number four, motion approving rejecting the mayor's nomination of Kate Black for reappointment to the Historic Preservation Commission for a term ending December 31st, 2026. Ms. Black, Commissioner Black, on the occasion of your third term on the Historic Preservation Commission, former planning director, city planner from the city of Piedmont, California, across the bay with uh, architectural history background uh, and historic preservation background. This should be easy and unanimous. Thank you for your service and your willingness to continue to serve. The floor is yours. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you, uh, honorable members of the Board of Supervisors Rules Committee, Chair Peskin, Vice Chair Mandelman, and Supervisor Chan. Since my appointment in 2018, which was to fill out an unexpired term, it has been such a privilege, privilege to serve on the Historic Preservation Commission. I've been fortunate to work with my fellow commissioners and city staff to nominate historic districts and landmarks, such as the Lyons Martin House, as well as cultural districts like the Sunset Chinese Cultural District, 
We've also been able to provide comments on historic district uh, statements, like the North Beach historic context statement just last Wednesday, and comments on planning code amendments, like simplifying restrictions on small businesses. It's been a pleasure supporting hundreds of legacy businesses who provide such important goods and services to the city, and importantly, participating in the city's groundbreaking, truly groundbreaking, racial and social equity policies. It would be my honor to collaborate with my fellow commissioners to continue to participate in these activities going forward, and new future work such as the important citywide survey, which is underway now, which I think will be very helpful in ex expediting housing production. Thank you for your consideration of my reappointment to the Historic Preservation Commission. Thank you, Commissioner Black. Uh, any Supervisor Mandelman? Yeah, I just want to thank uh, my constituent, Kate Black, for her service on uh, the Historic Preservation Commission. Um, I've known uh, Commissioner Black for, uh, I'm going to say, 20 years and actually worked with her in her life as a planner in Piedmont when I was providing legal services to the city of Piedmont. So um, thanks for your service and happy to support you today. And she worked with Buck Delventhal's brother. <laughs> you hear That's that, right. Deputy City Attorney Pearson? Uh, okay, is there any public comment on this item? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person can line up at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 and enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comment. There is nobody in the room for public comment at this time, and there is nobody in line on the telephone for public comment at this time. Okay, public comment is closed, and I will note, colleagues, that insofar as this seat expires on the last day of this month, this board can take action and probably should take action tomorrow. Uh, so I will, in addition to making two slight amendments to the motion, suggest that we send this as a committee report. Uh, and I think the two little changes we have to make are to remove the word rejecting in line three on page one and uh, the word rejects on line 13, and if we can make those amendments and send it with recommendation as amended as a committee report, that would be the call. Uh, and why don't we call that a motion? And Mr. Clerk, why don't you call the roll on that? Yes, on the motion to uh, recommend this matter as amended uh, as a committee report, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Madam and I, Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Yes. Next on the agenda is item number five, motion appointing Supervisor Asha Shafai, term ending January 31st, 2025, to the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District Board of Directors. Okay, uh, we have had a number of vacancies on that august body, so I'm delighted to see that Supervisor Safai is willing to serve. I note that that 
uh, term does not end until January 31st. So we will not be sending this as a committee report. So the new board can vote on that as advised by council. Uh, is there any public comment on this item? Uh, Chair Peskin, there might be an issue with this one in that I believe that uh, Supervisor Safi would like to fill out the remaining portion of the existing term that expires on January 31st and oh. then get reappointed to another term afterwards. Uh, I defer to... Deputy City Attorney oh. Pearson, I, I do believe that he would be filling a vacancy, a spot that is vacant right now, so the board could act and send this to, um, as a committee okay. report. I think I was mistaken when I thought it wasn't expiring until next month. Okay, well, this is a multi, well, hold on a second. This, this motion does two things. It is for the unexpired term ending January 31st, as well as for the two-year term beginning January 31st. So, Counselor, if I am to understand your advice correctly, what we would do is duplicate the motion, remove the uh, two-year term, and send that for the January 10th meeting. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So why don't we, that's what I will suggest, and why don't we open this up for public comment? Uh, yes, uh, on the motion. I mean, not on the motion. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should like to speak now. For those listening remotely, you can call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. There is nobody in line in the chamber. We have one person in line to speak on this matter. First speaker, please. Can you hear me now? Yes. It is David Pilpel. Okay, so if I understand correctly, the uh, file is to be duplicated and one on line uh, 10 would be to the, two, uh, the unexpired portion of a two-year term ending January 31, 2023, striking the rest of uh, the language there. Uh, and then the duplicated file would be uh, for the two-year term beginning January 31st, 2023 and ending in 2025. That's how I understood uh, all of that. I would also suggest that on line 13 uh, that it's not, there is no executive director of the bridge district. It's the general manager, but in this case, it's probably best directed to the uh, secretary of the district or district secretary. Um, on the actual appointment of Supervisor Safai, I support uh, his appointment. This would leave only one more uh, vacancy on the bridge board. It would be great to have all four of our uh, San Francisco supervisors there, which would complete that board and uh, have it be at its full complement of 19 members. It's had uh, a number of vacancies for uh, some time, as Chair Peskin indicated, and uh, it's only t un unless the supervisor uh, gets on a Thursday committee, it's only uh, 12 Fridays a year from 9 or 10 to noonish. It's not the biggest commitment, but it's very important. Thanks for listening. Is there any other public comment on this item? Uh, that completes uh, the list of public commenters. All right, public comment is closed and 
first i will make an amendment to change executive director to general manager which happens to be a true statement because i used to be a member of the golden gate bridge board on that motion a roll call please yes on the motion to amend supervisor chan chan i vice chair mandelman mandelman i chair peskin i peskin i the motion passes without objection okay now i will duplicate the file and at line 10 strike after 2023 the rest of that paragraph and then that's on the first file on the second file i will strike for the unexpired portion of a two-year term ending January 20 January 31st 2023 and a so it's for uh, so it reads for a two-year term beginning January 31st 2023 and ending January 31st 2025 so we now have two separate motions both of them amended to say general manager rather than executive director. And I would suggest that they both be sent with recommendation. The first one as a committee report for the unexpired portion of a two year term ending January 31st to be heard tomorrow. And the second one for the full two year term beginning January 31st to be heard by the board of supervisors on January 10th of 2023. On that multifaceted motion, a roll call, please. Yes, on, on those uh, motions, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Manelman. Manelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Yes, next on the agenda is item number six, motion reappointing Supervisor Hillary Yeronin Term ending February 10th, 2027, or the, or the conclusion of her term as member of the Board of Supervisors to the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. Okay. Uh, is there any public comment on this reappointment of our colleague to the MTC? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item can line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 Enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that will be your queue to begin your comment. There's nobody in the room, and we have one caller on the line. First speaker, please. Uh, David Pilpel again. I assume you can hear me. I support the reappointment of Supervisor Ronan to MTC since she will likely only be serving another two years. It would be good to also figure out during that two-year period who her likely successor uh, should be as the Board of Supervisors appointee on uh, MTC. I don't think I saw anything uh, with regard to this particular uh, motion on the uh, previous action, I think the original file uh, needed to have a correction on the long, the long title, which still has 2025. Thanks very much. What the hell is he talking about? 
uh, public comment is closed. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with the long title. Counselor? Um, Deputy City Attorney Pearson, the long title indicates that the appointment will be for a term that would end um, in 2027 or the conclusion of Supervisor Ronan's yeah. term. So I don't see any problems right. with the long title. Yeah, it looked right to me. Okay. Uh, and insofar as this term does not expire until February, I will make a motion to send this to the full board, not as a committee report. So it will appear on January 10th with recommendation on that motion. A roll call, please. Yes, on that motion, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Yes, item number seven is an ordinance amending the campaign and governmental conduct code to update the conflict of interest code form 700 filing requirements by adding, deleting, and changing titles of certain designated officials and employees to reflect organizational and staffing changes and by refining disclosure requirements for certain designated officials and employees. All right. Uh, well, it turns out, colleagues, that meet and confer on this matter is not yet concluded. Uh, having said that, we can still make some amendments, and we should make some amendments because when the voters voted on November 8th, they did a couple of things that will require some amendments to this, um, as well as some other things that need to be uh, fix. So um, you will recall that the voters passed Proposition B. I will add gratuitously by a whopping 75% to 25%, uh, which dissolved uh, the yet-to-be-established Sanitation and Streets Department and reverted those positions back to Public Works. And this needs to be reflected uh, by changes uh, removing all of the streets and sanitation positions at pages 56 to 58 and putting them back under public works at page 50. In addition to that, uh, the voters passed Proposition C, creating the Homelessness Oversight Commission. And so that needs to be properly reflected uh, and those changes uh, would require a new section, and they would also have to be incorporated under Section 3.1-103 sub A. Um, and what else do I have here? I have all sorts of notes. It says go to page 14. What did I say on page 14? Uh, oh, I had a question for... DCYF, which I didn't have time because I was going through this last night and I'm sick as a dog, but uh, why they removed the director of programs and grants and youth services manager from disclosure category one. Is that because those positions don't exist anymore or what happened? They don't need to be here today. They don't need to have that today, but they include by the time we hear this, whenever meet and confer has been uh, dealt with, uh, on page 
So if somebody, if they're not watching, uh, somebody can tell them that. Victor, can you tell them that? I want an explanation as to why those two positions are moved. Uh, I mentioned the Homelessness Oversight Commission. Uh, they would also have to put the position of commissioner on page 32 at section 3.1-271. Uh, and hold on, I got more. I got more. Sick as I am, I did read this whole dang thing. Wait a minute. Oh, I was curious on the successor agency to the redevelopment agency. I didn't see the disclosure category for its executive director. Am I missing that or was it? Anyway, that's a question which need not be answered today. And then um, we need to clean up the removal of uh, consultant explanation of category to conform with current code uh, as it relates to the community college district. And we have to remove the def definition of category two for the Department of the Environment because the department will no longer have category two filers. I think that is the sum and substance of, of the changes for this item. Uh, counselor, did I hit everything? Yes, you did, Supervisor. Thank you. And then some, huh? And then some. <laughs> okay, so I will make a motion to incorporate all of the aforementioned amendments and await answers from VCYF and the successor agency as to the questions I raised there. And then would like to continue the item as amended to the call of the chair. On that multi, oh, is there any public comment on this item? Uh, there's nobody in the chamber at this time for public comment. And just checking for those listening remotely, you can call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-351-0253, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you can press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, you can continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. Uh, we have one caller on the line. Go ahead. Uh, David Pilpel again. My earlier comment about the long title was about item five, the original file, 221224. Um, on the COI uh, code amendments, uh, I made a number of uh, comments at the last hearing in uh, November. Uh, the most important ones were, I think, uh, generic titles can be more specific. The uh, references to manager uh, three and uh, manager four and whatnot um, don't really give anyone a, an understanding of which uh, specific uh, positions um, are at issue. So whatever their functional uh, title is, it's uh, more useful uh, for the larger departments. I think uh, having divisions uh, makes sense for the smaller departments. Not having divisions uh, is better. Their references to prop Q initiators uh, and approvers, that's not at all clear uh, to the public. Um, and I appreciate the amendments that were already made today and look forward to uh, reviewing those when this is next heard. Thanks for listening. 
public comment is closed and on the motion a roll call vote please yes on the motion to amend and continue to the call of the chair supervisor chan chan i vice chair manaman manaman i chair peskin aye peskin i the motion passes without objection happy holidays everybody we are adjourned <laughs>